going to I'm going to ask two young ladies to help me out. Uh, yeah, you, Leah and Katie, will you please come up here? I have about 15 of these. I may not have made enough. I don't know. If if you are a if you are a note taker, this this will help you. Um, if if we run out, um, I don't know. Maybe somebody would want to volunteer to to make a few more copies. But uh, just lift your hand if you want one. If you want to just listen, you can just listen. That's fine. You you don't um, you know if you just need something to doodle on. Uh, you can find your own paper for that. <laughs> this is if you want to if if you want to take some notes. We'll let's see how we come out. <clears throat> let's see if we if we run out or if we if we end up with enough. We still have a few. Leah, I think maybe take your take that back to Dad James. I think he might want one. So does everybody does everybody that wants one have one? Does anybody want one and you don't have one? Okay, I don't see any hands, so I think we're okay. I think we're okay. We're talking about loving God as the primary principle of the Christian life. And we we started this last week and really last week we didn't do much more than just basically introduce the way we are defining what it means to really love God. Now, most of us know these ideas and these words. We all understand that we were made for more than religious activity. Uh, We were made for more than just to reach our full potential, though I believe God wants us to reach our full potential, but we were made for more than that. We were made for relationship. We were made for a relationship with God. And, and uh, Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, the definition of eternal life is to have a relationship with God, to know God and His Son. And as we think about this, everything that God desires from us begins with us loving Him with us reciprocating the love that God has placed upon us. If, if, if we want to be more like Jesus, you know, this is a, it's easy to fall into to religious traps, so to speak. And uh, I know myself, I've had times uh, of, of spiritual dryness, and the instinct is to say, well, I need to read the Bible more. I need to pray harder. Uh, I need to, you know, look at the, find the flaws or the, the problem areas of my life and, and work on, you know, bettering myself in those ways and maybe I'll, I'll get through this spiritual dry spell. But really, friends, I believe the truth of the matter is that it all goes back to loving God, loving God. If you want to be more like Jesus, begin with loving God. If you want to be more holy, 
Loving God is the fountain of all personal holiness. If you want complete victory over something, some problem area of your life, then loving God is the key to that. Ultimately, all true, genuine, and lasting spiritual transformation is the outflow of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Last week, we introduced to you this definition of what it means to love God, and you have it there printed on your handout if you'd like to follow along. Actually, let me invite you. You can either read it off the screen uh, or you can, and this is just a side note, but let me, let me do a little survey. I know some of you have problems with, with your eyesight anyway. Um, is the font too fancy for you to read very easily? Would it be easier to read if it was a different font? If you, if you can see it, you can read it okay? Yes? No? Okay, all right. I'm just curious because I'm, I, I, I want this to be a helpful tool. I, most of you, I, I hope, can look up here and actually read what's on the screen and, and that it's helpful to you. All right, thank you for indulging me in that little, that little side note. Let's read this together. To love God is to self-sacrificially commit oneself to delight in Him, to rejoice in serving Him, to desire continually to please Him, to seek one's happiness in Him, and to thirst day and night for a fuller enjoyment of Him. That's based on a sermon by John Wesley from a few hundred years ago. And uh, he gave us, well, it's a little bit adapted, but this, this is from that sermon. And I think it's a good way to uh, encompass what it means to really love God. So today, uh, or this evening rather, I want to look at this idea of a self-sacrificial commitment. To love God involves a self-sacrificial commitment. First thing I would have you to notice is simply this, that love calls for commitment. And real love, genuine love, calls for complete, total commitment. I want to read to you a few verses from Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 through 4. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, And gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice, and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. Let me ask you a question, and and this is not a rhetorical question. I'm I'm inviting your response, if you would like to respond. Uh, Anybody troubled by the idea that 
the Lord is directly telling his people he's going to at times test them, test their love. Has any, anybody, doesn't bother you? Doesn't bother you at all? Okay. And that's, and that's fine. I'll, I'll be honest with you and tell you it bothered me at first. You know, why, why would the Lord test somebody in their love? But after thinking about it, I, I realized that it is the nature of this kind of love, love that calls for total commitment. It is the nature of that love to be tested. It invites testing. Um, anybody that gives themselves in marriage... Uh, they're inviting, they are committing themselves to love someone, and that will invite testing. Sister Sheila, I think you had your hand up. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, I have to agree with that. And, and here, through Moses, we have God telling them, uh, God telling the Israelites, uh, God will at times allow someone, a so-called prophet or dreamer, to, to predict a sign or a wonder, and God will allow that sign or wonder to come to pass. And then that individual will say, come, let's go serve another God. You may remember there are several tests for an authentic prophet, and God gave these guidelines, these qualifications. One of those tests is 100% accuracy. A true prophet of God must be 100% accurate in what he predicts. And here we have what would seem to play into that. These people know that a true prophet of God must be accurate, so here's somebody that has, has prophesied or they have said that such and such is going to happen, and, and lo and behold, it does, and they think, oh, wow, I wonder if that really is a prophet. I want to be careful lest I get off on a, on a rabbit trail, but you recall that when Moses and Aaron were going before Pharaoh, there was quite a number of those uh, signs that they demonstrated for Pharaoh that the Egyptian wise men and magicians, they were able to duplicate. And I think it would be well for us to remember that God is not the only supernatural power or source of spiritual power that exists in this world, that there are counterfeits to the divine power of God. Well, commitment expresses itself in loyalty. Commitment expresses itself in loyalty. And so God is saying here, that he will bring a test of their love for him in a way that will reveal their loyalty to him. Are they going to remain loyal to Jehovah 
or are they going to be impressed and enticed? That's the two key words. By the way, if I'm not hitting all of those blanks and you're missing something, just raise your hand and stop me. I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I'm following the general outline, but I may not have all of those blanks for you to fill out, so uh, let me know. Um, I see here the, the two key words in, these, in, in this passage, impressed and enticed. In other words, there's going to be someone who will demonstrate the power of God. You know, this is the way the Antichrist is going to work. When, when he comes on the scene, uh, he will demonstrate what appears to be the power of God. And everyone will follow and flock after him because, wow, look at this great, you know, divine power. Um, but it's counterfeit. And people can be so impressed that they can be enticed away, away from Jehovah. Now, l- let, me, let me pause here and ask you to consider this. Most of us are not impressed and enticed by prophets who predict signs and wonders or perform miracles. We quite honestly don't see much of that in, in its genuine form these days, um, which is okay. I believe there are other reasons for that, but that's a different message. Um, but let me ask you this. Are there things that impress and entice us and test our loyalty to God? Can you think of any? Really, anything that tempts us to allow it to become a priority in our lives and take precedence over our commitment to God, our loyalty to God, anything like that is liable to become an idol to us. So think about whatever it is that you, that you have so to speak, fallen in love with whatever has captured your attention and you end up devoting your time and effort and energy to and suddenly you realize that for a few days or maybe a week or a few weeks you haven't really spent quality time with the Lord in prayer or in His Word. That's what I'm talking about. It comes about us, it comes to us in a different form today than it did when Moses here is talking to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, but it still comes to us, this idea that we can be impressed by something and enticed away from Jehovah, and I believe that God still allows these things, and and God permits it to happen so that our loyalty to Him can be really demonstrated to be genuine, to be really what it ought to be. Love calls for total commitment, a commitment without reservation. But also notice that love involves sacrifice. This is the first Part, based on the first part of that definition, to love God is to self-sacrificially commit oneself. So it involves 
sacrifice. Let's look for a few moments at a passage from Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. These are the words of Jesus where he says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Love involves sacrifice, and, and there is there a choice to be made, a choice to be made. In fact, in other passages of Scripture, Jesus challenged the people who were contemplating following him, coming after him, and he said, be sure you count the cost before you decide to become my disciple. And you remember he spoke about the one who began to, to build a building, but they didn't consider whether, enough they had, whether or not they had enough finances to complete it, and, and they weren't able to finish it. Or the king who contemplates going to battle, and he stops to look over his military and his force and whether, to see whether or not he has the, the might to meet that one who is coming against him. And Jesus says when we decide to become his disciple, we need to count the cost. There is a choice to be made, and it can be a costly choice. Choosing to love God and, and live for him, it means putting everyone and everything else in subordination and letting our love for God have precedence, letting our love for the Lord be the defining aspect of our entire life. It, it doesn't mean necessarily like some in, in years gone by, you know, the people that would become monks and they would go to a monastery somewhere and isolate themselves and, and some would take vows of poverty and some would take vows of silence and vows of chastity and all these, all these extra biblical requirements to try to just be as holy of a person as, as they could be. Loving God doesn't really require all of that. What it does require is allowing that love to define how we relate to all of those other areas of our life. We are blessed to live in a country where we seldom have to make really hard choices when it comes to serving God. Amen? So far, now we do, we do seem to be heading away from that, but so far it is easy to be a Christian in America. And we don't really know anything about the kind of challenges that people face in other parts of the world. For example, in most Muslim countries, some of you know this, to choose to love and follow Christ almost always means choosing to be disinherited, often kicked out of your home and ostracized from your family. There are parts of the world where that's really what that means if you decide to follow Christ. And there are people that are now making that decision. They see in Christ something worth giving up everything else. Say, oh, this is, this is what I want in Christ. 
And Jesus here is quite pointed when he gives us this call to sacrificially commit ourselves to following him. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me. And, and, and we need to understand he's not saying that we're not allowed to have those, those other relationships. He's just saying that they all come under subordination and they become defined by our love for him. Let's go beyond the theoretical to real life. Because a lot of us, when we think in theoretical terms, meaning, oh, you know, we could say, yes, I would be willing to sacrifice my life for Christ if it, if it came down to it. Uh, I hope this won't bother any of you too badly. Um, but I happen to believe that none of us really know what we will do until we are actually faced with the moment. And so I say for myself, if it comes to the point of genuine persecution where it might end up being very costly to continue following and serving Christ, I hope that I will find I know the grace will be available in Christ. I don't have any doubt about that. But I hope I will be able to find the faith and the trust in Christ to be able to rely on that grace when that time comes. I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. Because we can talk about things like that, but for us it's pure speculation. It's pure theoretical. Uh, it, it's, not, it, it's not a real-life decision that we're having to make right now. So let me just give you a little, a little homely illustration um, to go beyond the, 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 the theoretical and the speculative to, to real life. You may have heard the story before about the man who was talking to his pastor and was saying he, he was a farmer. And he said, oh, pastor, I just love the Lord so much and he's been so good to me. If I had, if I had 50 pigs, I'd give 25 of those pigs up for the Lord, for the Lord's work. And the pastor said, well, that's great. He said, if you had 20, would you give up 10? Oh, yes, if I had 20, I'd give up 10. He said, if you had 10, would you give up 5? Oh, yes, pastor, I'd, the Lord's been so good, I'd give up 5 of those 10 for the Lord. And then the pastor said, if you only had 2, would you give up 1? And the man said, well, now, Pastor, that's not fair. You know I've only got two pigs. You see, in our commitment and loyalty to the Lord and our, our determination to say, oh, I love the Lord so much I'd be willing to sacrifice anything for Him, it's not a matter of what we think we maybe would do if we were faced with the decision or the choice, but it's a matter of real life. What are we really doing? You know, to very, down to the very simple things, like are you willing to turn off your favorite program or to, or to fast from Facebook or whatever? I, I'm not, I don't know what fills the time and the hours of your day or what is tempting 
you, to entice you away from time with the Lord. I don't know that in every one of your situations. But what I'm saying is, are there moments in your life when you are able to say, and those are just kind of small, silly things. But for us, that's real life and where we demonstrate that willingness for self-sacrificial commitment. To say, no, Lord, I, I, you are so good and I love you. I don't want to find my delight in Facebook. I want to find my delight in time with you. It's not a sin to be on Facebook, by the way. Okay? Just so, <laughs> just so we're real clear with that. You can fall into sin if you're on there too much. I'll say that. And that can become an idol like anything else. But we love God supremely, and then our life is then defined by that love. Anything that is incompatible with our love for God must be laid down and sacrificed, and the things that we can enjoy are participated in in such a way that our love relationship with God is not compromised. You think about a man and a woman who give themselves in marriage to one another. When, an, when a man and a woman get married, assuming they are reasonably uh, mentally, emotionally healthy individuals, they don't cut off all of their other relationships with their other friends, right? They, they still have other friends outside of their spouse, outside of their home. The man may have other friends who happen to be ladies. The woman may have other friends who happen to be men. But what happens after marriage, after they've given themselves in marriage to one another, those relationships with the other people come into subordination to their marriage relationship. Their relationship with their spouse comes first. And they don't allow any of those other relationships to impact their relationship with their spouse in a way that's harmful. At least that's the way it's intended to be. So there are two ways that we can look at this kind of sacrifice. The sacrifice that love calls for. One way to look at it is the sacrifice of the regretful sigh. Can you imagine being at a wedding where you see the groom standing up front waiting for his bride to come down the aisle? And before he says his I do's and pledges his faith to that one who is to be his wife, he looks with regret across the audience of those that are in attendance and notices all of the other single young ladies and thinks about how he used to enjoy, you know, being able to, to flirt and interact and be friendly with all of these other single young ladies. And he thinks, well, <sighs> I guess there's no more of that. I can only have eyes for this one now. That's one way of thinking about the sacrifice that love involves. But there is another way. And that is the sacrifice of the delightful focus 
And this is, I believe, the way it ought to be for that man and woman that's getting married and the way it ought to be for our love for the Lord. It is not looking around at what we're giving up and what we're losing and regretfully sighing and thinking, oh, what a good, what a good and faithful husband I'm going to be because I'm giving up all of these other things for this one. No, it's you look at what you're receiving, at what you're getting, and think, oh, this one. This one is more beautiful than all the rest. This one has captured my heart and captured my, my attention, and I want to give up all of the others, to give myself completely, supremely to this one and this one alone. And we may ask the question, some may ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Well, it depends on perspective. Just like the focus of the groom standing there waiting for his bride-to-be coming down the aisle, if he is looking regrettably at everything he's giving up and giving up the single life to be a married man and all of that, if that's what his focus is on, then he's going to find that it's not worth it. And when we try to follow Jesus and we try to pursue Christianity and be in right relationship with God, if our focus is on all of the things that we have lost and the things that we've had to give up, and, and we think, well, you know, I'm, I'm giving up a lot, but I really want to, you know, I really don't want to go to hell when I die. So I guess I better try my best to be a Christian. If that's the focus, then for most of your life, you will find that it's not worth it. And keep your fingers crossed, hope that you can be true and faithful, and maybe you'll find out that it's worth it when you get to go to heaven instead of hell at the end. Maybe. I'm not too sure about that if your focus in serving God is regretfully thinking about all the things that you're losing and giving up. For serving God. Think about what Jesus said in Hebrews, or what it says about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that he uh, endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. His sacrifice was motivated by the joy of seeing the ones that he loved come to, to redemption and to salvation. Yes, he, he looked at the cross and said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to go through that. But yet he endured it and looked beyond the cross to the point where he could be joyful because of the salvation that would come to the lost ones that he loved. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus promised a reward for any sacrifice that we make out of love for him. Which, by the way, when we really love God, when we really love Jesus, I don't believe that we, ha that we have to be enticed by rewards to do the right thing. But it's just simply a fact uh, of, I believe it's one of the laws of the, of the universe. Like the laws of nature, there are certain spiritual laws, certain laws that, that God has put in, in place. And I believe this is part of that. Matthew 19, verse 29, everyone, Jesus says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for, not, for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Everybody that gives up something for the love of God, for the love of Christ, will receive their reward. Then in Philippians chapter 3, 
we see Paul looking at the high points of his pedigree. You know, that's his, his background, his pedigree. If you, if you know about animals and such, you know what a pedigree is. Vanessa's back there. She knows about pedigrees. Uh, Paul in Philippians chapter 3 gives his pedigree. He talks about how he was of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, and of the, uh, he was a, a Pharisee, and all of these things that he says he had going for him, religiously speaking. If you want to look at religious qualifications, Paul had everything that maybe he would need. But Paul said, what was once on the credit side of my ledger he says, I've considered that it's all become a liability to me. It belongs in the garbage dump. Because he says, I've found something worth far more than all of that. And that is knowing Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings and his resurrection. You see, friends, when we truly fall in love with God through Jesus Christ, we have found the joy and the delight of our souls. It's the hidden treasure that Jesus talks about. It's the pearl of great price, and there's nothing else that can compare to knowing Jesus and following Him, unless you're just doing it because you're supposed to or because you have to. Now, friends, I, I understand that there are times when we do what's right because we know it's right, and that's what we ought to do. However, life doesn't have to be that way on an ongoing basis. And as we choose on purpose to do what it takes to love God supremely, we will find that God fills our cup and keeps filling our cup with blessing and with joy Songwriter Iris Stanfield said it this way. He wrote a song called, Look What I Found. And he wrote this, I lost all desire for the world and its chains. I thought I would die without all those things. But Jesus came by and turned me around. I know what I lost, but look what I found. I lost all the dreams of a life for myself. They all blew away like dust on a shelf, but he gave me a song, a beautiful sound. I know what I lost, but look what I found. I lost all the hate that I had in my heart. It withered my soul and tore me apart, but Jesus brought love and turned me around. I know what I lost, but look what I found. I lost all the guilt that had made me a slave. I tried to be good and tried to behave. But Jesus came on and turned me around. I know what I've lost, but look what I've found. I, Brother Curtis and I were talking about music and songs before the service, and, and people, real love. Now, you might be one of these analytical thinkers, and you might not have too much poetry in your soul. Um, but there's something about really falling in love that will bring out the poetry in your soul. Another songwriter said, Well of water, ever springing, bread of life, so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. Oh, hallelujah, I have found Him, whom my soul so long has craved. He has satisfied my longing. Through his blood I now am saved. People, it is wonderful to fall in love 
with Jesus. And then to consciously, purposefully choose to say, I'm not talking about, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be choosing at this point. We're not talking about choosing between sin and serving God. We're talking about choosing between something that's okay and something that might help us grow and increase in our love for God. To have those moments where you say, oh, maybe I'm going to spend some time reading in this novel or, or whatever. I, I'm, I'm talking about something that's okay. And then that, that little reminder that there's someone who loves you and wants to spend time with you. And you think, oh, no, I can lay this aside to focus my attention on one that I, that I love. We're about done, but I, I wanted to teach you a little song, a little chorus. Maybe, maybe some of you know it. It simply says, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing I desire compares with you. If you know it, you can join right in and sing it with me. If you don't, you can listen and we'll sing it a time or two. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing I desire compares with you. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. And nothing I desire compares with you. One more time. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. And nothing I desire compares with you. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here.